Ranked one of America's top research universities, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee plays a vital role in shaping the future of Milwaukee and Wisconsin. UWM's diversity, academic excellence, and world-class research contribute to the region's economic development and quality of life. Meet the people behind the creativity and discoveries on UWM Today. Here's the host, Tom Lujak, Vice Chancellor of University Relations. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a dramatic impact on the entertainment industry. Hollywood studios, movie theaters, and live theater companies all have experienced huge economic losses because consumers have been unable to gather due to social distancing. And the financial impact has been felt far beyond the corporate bottom lines, with many people in the industry unemployed. On this edition of UWM Today, we're going to talk about how theaters have been able to survive during the pandemic and what the future holds for the entertainment business going forward. Joining us are Jocelyn Sapaniak-Gillies. She's an associate professor of English and Film Studies at UWM. And Brent Hazelton, the artistic director of the Milwaukee Chamber Theater. Jocelyn, let's begin by talking about the film industry and movie theaters. How bad did things really get for us? Thanks so much for having me on, Tom. It's really delightful to get to be a guest today. Um, what's not delightful is the effect that the pandemic has had on the movie industry. It's been really terrible. Of course, theaters shut down immediately, uh, right when the pandemic uh, really kicked off uh, in March. Um, but then we saw rolling waves of closures uh, around the country, but also internationally. So for example, um, Cineworld, uh, the chain which is in both Europe and the United States, shut their theaters entirely in October. They're still in the process of potentially opening up. Also in um, in November, uh, Governor Evers announced that 54 theaters just across the state of Wisconsin were uh, getting funding from the CARES Act. And that I think really demonstrates how hit the exhibition industry really was to the point where even Wisconsin theaters were getting funds from the federal government. So it's it's really, really been, uh, it's, it's really been a wallop to the industry in general. Any sense of of some of these theaters are not going to be able to reopen? Uh, absolutely. I think that's a fear that a lot of us really have right now. I know that uh, several franchises of the Alamo Draft House, which of course started in Austin, Texas, um, several of those have filed for bankruptcy at this point. Now, now, it's arguable as to whether that's actually entirely due to the pandemic, because of course, sometimes filing for bankruptcy makes some kind of shady corporate sense. Um, but I think we are all a bit afraid that we're going to see theaters uh, shut down entirely. The main risk, I think, is really with smaller repertory theaters that don't have the kinds of money that a chain like AMC might have. Yeah. What, what about uh, the producers of, of the entertainment, of the films, the, the movies that we love to see, especially on the big screen? How have they been impacted? There's been a lot of effect on the industry in general in uh, production as well. Uh, so, for example, um, a lot of productions were sidelined, um, but then uh, what we see again is that smaller independent productions are really suffering the most because there uh, were new requirements put in place uh, all through California for how many people could be on a set at a given time. And of course, typically, a film has any number of people on the set, right? Uh, up to hundreds of people working on the same film at once. 
Well, that's just not possible if you're following proper COVID-19 restrictions and if you're really taking care of your workers. So that was a really difficult thing. But again, we see things like independent productions that don't have the funding that um, a more bankrolled production would have to pay for things like COVID-19 insurance. So I think that we're already seeing a lag in terms of movies that are available, right? New movies that are coming out. Uh, But I'm especially concerned that we'll see an effect on um, independent films in particular. And that would be a real tragedy because such diversity that we look for in the film houses and the theaters comes often from those independent producers. Um, Other countries, were they also, the the film industry also affected as, as it was in Hollywood and here in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially in Europe, as I mentioned, uh, Cineworld, which is this major uh, chain in the UK. I think it's the largest um, theater chain in the UK. They shut down all of their theaters. And I think it's really important to note that uh, the echoes of that it's not just about movie going, it's about all the people who work in those theaters, right? So this is something that demonstrates how the film industry isn't just about the joy of watching movies, it's also many, many people's livelihood. And it's also indicative then of how film itself is about larger cultural resonances, right? It's something that has a deeper meaning across um, ideological and political and national boundaries. And the COVID-19 pandemic's effect on the industry has really drawn that into focus. You know, that's a really good point. So many of us have been able to shift our work to a remote uh, environment, working out of the house, uh, you know, down in the basement. Um, People who make movies, people who show movies don't have that luxury, do they? That's right. They really, really don't. Um, And one of the things that we're expecting uh, to happen in the future in exhibition is that concessions, for example, will get even more automated, right? So you'll just like pick up your candy bar from a vending machine or get your popcorn from some kind of a robot arm, right? That I have no idea what it would even look like, but that these kinds of things will be um, emerging in the future. um, And they'll be described as a way that theaters are making sure all of the audience members members are safe. But what they're really doing is cutting the cost of human labor. So I think that's something that we really have to attend to. We're going to be talking in just a moment about what the future looks like for both the uh, theaters that show the movies and the companies that make them. But I'd like to bring uh, Brent into the conversation right now because uh, live performances um, don't require movie cameras, but they still require a lot of people, don't they? Brent, uh, as uh, head of the Milwaukee Chamber Theater, what sort of impact did COVID have on your operation? Yeah, it's, it's quite devastating all around. Um, you know, we uh, don't have the luxury really of being able to pivot to virtual, though that's what so many of us are trying to do now. But our work depends on gathering human beings together in the same room and telling them stories. And our economic model is predicated on getting as many of those human beings together in that room as you possibly can in the most contained space. So it's, uh, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has been um, really hitting live performance in, in every single vulnerability it has, um, particularly so on the, uh, the practitioner side. Um, primarily freelance artists work in this industry. Um, the companies themselves have been able to secure some federal funding, I think the CARES Act, the Payroll Protection the, Plan. Yeah, the PPP plan, yeah. And then the um, Shuttered Venues uh, grant, that is, we're trying to work our way through right now as a country, figuring out how to apply for that. Didn't go so well yesterday, the first day it was open. Um, but for most of us on the institutional side, we're able right now to draw on enough resource to, to survive and hold this over. 
but the real damage is being felt by the individual artists themselves. And that's where we're seeing uh, right now an incredible talent drain from the industry. Uh, people who have had you know, 20, 30 year careers, the real masters who have families and children and you know economic footprints that they have to support who are leaving the industry hugely to find employment, to sustain themselves through this time. So, you know, we're definitely looking to a period of coming back, but wondering who's going to be coming back with us in terms of valued collaborators and just how many, I mean, if you look nationwide, you know, how many tens of thousands of years of professional experience are going to be not returning to the stage with us. You know, one of the great things about living here in Milwaukee is we have such a vibrant art scene. Um, you know, whether it's film producers, of course, UWM has this world-renowned film program, so we're training the next generation of filmmakers. But but thinking of uh, your area, Brent, uh, live theater in Milwaukee. It, there, there are few cities, I think, uh, of our size that could uh, boast about having so many great companies. You, you mentioned that a lot of the people, the individuals, performers have had to look elsewhere to, to for, for work, that's really alarming to think that they may not come back to the business they're so good at. Does that surprise you? No. Um, it's just an economic reality. Um, and people, you know, it depends on what the footprint of our industry is going to be when we come back. You know, we're, we're looking now at moving into live performance again for the 21-22 season. And trying to figure out to what scale and proportion will we be able to do that relative to where we were in the 1920 season. And I think everyone across the board is feeling some diminishment, either fewer productions, smaller cast productions, or based on the, the COVID protocols that Jocelyn was talking about, we have to abide by those things as well in the live theater industry, just the number of people that you can physically have in a space. So, you know, we are creating some virtual productions right now, what we're referring to as play movies where we are actually creating productions on stage, rehearsing them as we would for an audience and then filming them in three camera format. But, you know, right now we have a full production going on in our theater, getting ready to start filming tonight for the fourth and final one of the season. That involves 12 people. Normally it would be a significantly larger number than that. And depending on the scale to which we can monetize, how quickly are people going to be interested in coming back to the theater, we'll all determine how many people we can bring back with us. So it may simply be a numbers game that there, there may just not be the same number of opportunities on the other side of this that there were before, at least not for the next few years while we're working to rebuild operating budgets and rebuild audience trust. You know, both of you have done a good job talking about the impact that the pandemic has on the people who create the art. Let's talk for a moment or two about, um, about the average consumer of that art. Um, it, it, I, I got to tell you, I personally love movies. I love going to the theater, uh, and it has been a long year. I think I can speak on behalf of most of our listeners. Uh, you know, it, it was necessary. We needed to, to, to stay away from each other in order to protect each other. Uh, but boy, oh boy, I, I'm itching to get back. But I will tell you, in the back of my mind, I'm saying, but is it quite the time yet? Even if we have our shot, is it quite the time? Do you think that there will be some reluctance on the part of the consumer to, to get back into the theaters, whether it's for a film or a live presentation? Jocelyn? Absolutely. Uh, I think that all of us are a bit afraid of entering society in general. But something that I want to point to uh, here at this particular moment is that 
You know, movie theaters have always been these strange places that are threaded through with all sorts of strange anxieties, right? Now it's the possibility of fomites settling upon you and the person next to you breathing upon you. You know, you're not just worried about them texting during the movie. It's that they might expel some noxious air upon you and then you'll get terribly sick. But that kind of a fear that's not a new fear. There have been fears about experiences in the movie theater since the movie theater started, whether it was fears of immigrants in the 1910s, fears for women going by themselves to the movie theaters and what kinds of dangers might they might encounter in the dark, fears about teenagers going to drive-ins and just making out way too much in the 50s, but then all the way up until uh, the 21st century when we have fears of potentially getting shot in the movie theater, right? Um, such is in Aurora, Colorado. So none of these have actually stopped people entirely from going to the movies. At the same time that the movie theater is this space of, um, of tension, right, of sociopolitical tension, um, of all sorts of kinds of fears and anxieties, it's also a place that we're totally drawn to. And that's, I think, because it is a place where we encounter those things, but we also learn how to be one another. It's a space of democracy to me. How about you, Brent? So interesting that you say you describe it as a space of democracy because that's exactly the way I talk about theater. It is the most democratic art form, the greatest leveling influence ever. You know, we we get people together in a space and we show them an idea of what someone thinks life is like today with an underlying question of, do you agree? And if so, do you like it? And if not, what do you want to do about it? And then send them on their way into their lives. Um, we, we've been hearing, you know, people can't wait to come back. Um, and, you know, the caveat being uh, once they're assured it's safe, we're continuing to work with the health department and the four unions that we have relationships with to figure out what safety means. But as soon as people are assured, I think they're going to return. We're seeing now nationally as companies are beginning to come back live, right, these sort of small small performances for small occupancy, shows are selling out within hours. I mean, people are seeing ticket consumption at a rate in the theater that has really never happened before. The biggest fear right now is that, you know, we've been having all sorts of conversations for the past year in particular, very urgently about relationships of privilege to the live theater. And subscribers come first in everyone's economic model. And if you are reducing your capacity based on you know, these COVID restrictions from your local government, necessarily your subscribers will be the ones that are going to see the work. And those subscribers tend to be the most well-off, the most well-to-do, the most economically privileged group. So, so there is a great concern right now starting to at least be discussed in the industry about, you know, we've, we've come from this, this year of having urgent conversations about inclusion, and now our economic model is telling us that it may be necessary to step even further into exclusion in order to get back on our feet. So we're all really starting to wrestle with that just as a, who are we doing this work for and who needs it right now? And how do we make sure that it's available to the people who most need it? while still having to navigate the very thorny particulars of nonprofit regional theater economic structure. You're listening to UWM Today here on WUWM. Good to have you with us this week. I'm Tom Lujak, and joining us in our remote studios, we have uh, two wonderful guests talking about the impact that the pandemic has had on movies and on live presentation. Jocelyn Sapeniak gillis is an associate professor of English and film studies at the College of Letters and Science at UWM, and uh, alongside her, Brent Hazelton, artistic director for the Milwaukee Chamber Theater. 
Brent, you, um, you, prior to coming to the Milwaukee Chamber Theater, spent many years at the Milwaukee Rep. I think you were our uh, assistant artistic director there. Um, and, and I've been to presentations or, or performances at, at both of the groups. And, uh, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit more about, about the user experience, the consumer experience, because not only do I have wonderful, strong emotions uh, as a theater goer, but I get the sense that performers up on the stage, knowing that there's someone 20 feet away, 10 feet away, feed off of that energy. Um, how easy or tough will it be for for your actors to get their mojo back, knowing that that they they haven't been in front of live audiences for a long time? Yeah, people are raring to go, um, and it's it's been so interesting working on these filmed productions. One was a two actor show. We did two one actor shows, and now we're doing the big one, four actors on stage at the same time. But um, the that audience absence is so hugely felt. I mean, there's, there is no response, right? I mean, the, the theater is a dialogue between the actor on stage and the audience. And it's, it's that listening to one another and feeling one another and having a conversation night in and night out. And boy, you, you really can feel when those cameras are running and it's an actor on stage and there's six people, you know, in the house watching the monitors more than they're watching the actor, just that it's not the thing. And Everyone is very, very hungry to get that other half of the component back. Um, I just finished directing a show, and it was because of you know changing jobs, moving here from Milwaukee Rep, and then the impact of the pandemic. It's actually the first time I directed a play in 30 months, and it took me a good week to figure out just what I was doing and how this was supposed to work. Um, so you know, there is definitely a, a sense of getting back in the saddle, but it. It comes back very, very quickly, and you know we're we're really blessed in this community to have a very, a very deep, very excellent pool of live theater artists, um, and they're, yeah, they're they're really itching to get back and, and feel that actor audience exchange. Jocelyn, earlier you talked about the changes and adjustments that the movie industry has to go through. Let's talk a little bit about um, changes that were made during the pandemic. I'm thinking of Warner Brothers, for example, with their decision to go immediately to streaming uh, their films at the same time that they're putting them into the theater. Um, Is that going to continue, do you think, going forward? Or will the film industry resort back to its more traditional method of making and distributing their product? I think it's going to be a combination of the two. And since really since um, the establishment of the classical Hollywood system, so in, in about the 1920s when all the studios consolidate, most of which, of course, are still in operation today, that's how powerful uh, these corporations were and still are. There was often tension between exhibitors, i.e. theater owners and those who worked in theaters, and um, the studios in Hollywood, right, those who are producing the films. And the studios owned many of the theaters, that's true, but for the independent uh, theater owners, there was often quite a bit of tension about what kind of product they were going to get from the studios, how much they would get charged, if they would have to take a really terrible movie alongside a really good one, right? Um, So really throughout the history of exhibition in the United States, there has been been this uh, kind of slightly combative relationship between the places where the movies are showed and the people that are making them. And I think we see that happening now with uh, releases such as um, Wonder Woman 1984, right? There was a lot of um, a lot of bristling about releasing that on um, HBO now as opposed to just in a theatrical release. 
But I think that uh, Warner Brothers would not be providing their entire back catalog to um, this streaming service if it wasn't economically benefiting them in some way. Based on that understanding, I think this particular kind of streaming model will be sticking around in large part. Um, although, as we've been talking about, I think that some of audience desire to get back into the movie theater will direct a bit of these decisions, right? I think we've learned over the course of the pandemic that seeing a movie is not just watching a movie on a screen. It's being around other people. It's having that, that flash of contingency that anything might happen in the theater. It might be something scary, but it also might be something wonderful. It might be something we might call shared empathy. Yeah, yeah, and I like the idea also of uh, being able to watch a movie and not be tempted to head to the kitchen to to the refrigerator. <laughs> there is something about the discipline that that a movie theater places on you, and and it it, it affects how you consume that that movie, how you enjoy that movie. Yes, absolutely. In fact, this is something that I am pretty obsessed with in my own scholarship is uh, the movie theater is also a space of pedagogy and a space of discipline. It teaches us how to watch a movie. It teaches us in its very architecture, right, to sit still, not to get up, not to move around, only to get your snacks uh, before and after the film, if at all possible, right? So the movie theater kind of serves to teach us how to be citizens in the world. And maybe that's part of what we're kind of yearning for right now, a bit of that uh, reintegration into what it means to be a member of civil society together. Our pre-pandemic manners will come back to us, right? <laughs> hey, Brent, you were talking before. Yeah, <laughs> Brent, you were talking a moment ago about um, the, the way in which you shifted your productions to a virtual setting uh, by force, by need. Uh, you couldn't have people in the theater. Um, but thinking along the lines of this democratization of entertainment, of what you do, is it likely that your theater or, or other live theater presentations will be offered in both uh, a live setting and a virtual setting? Do, do you see a point where, where those cameras that you're setting up and using right now until the theaters can be thrown wide open will just become another avenue for enjoying your live work? It's hard to say, um, and certainly is up to union regulations and the permission of the licensing houses that we work with for content. They're, they're really calling the shots in terms of what they will or won't allow. And it's only been as a result of the pandemic that those entities have even been willing to entertain streaming as an option for their delivery. So it, it's hard to say right now whether people are going to close that door very quickly as soon as we can all come back, just from a sort of contractual legal point of view, or if they're going to let it continue. Uh, artistically, you know, what we're learning is we can we can do these things well, right? About about as well as a theatrical production can be captured, discounting, you know, the like the Spike Lee captures, right? Where you've got a dozen cameras in the room and a multi-million dollar budget to capture a show. Um, sort of an average theater level, the the content that we're creating, I think, stands up well. It's challenging to draw people to it because it's not the thing that people are interested in from us. Right? We can tell them a story, we can tell them a two-dimensional story, we can deliver them a narrative, but that sense of community that builds in the theater is, is absent on a screen. And because there is so much virtual content in the world right now from theaters, uh, I think there's also definitely a high burnout factor in the world. So I think, I mean, personally, I feel like I'm looking to, to get away from it and get back to doing what we do at our very best as soon as we possibly can. 
there may be a necessary transitional point where we're still building consumer confidence and want to make sure we're honoring subscribers where we have to. Um, but it's also very tricky to fit into our economic model. You know, uh, the on-camera world and the live theater world do not share any sort of economic similarities. Um, and just figuring out how to fit that into a regular operating budget is difficult. Um, one of the only reasons we were able to afford it this year was because we, we cut our theater rent costs essentially in a quarter by not having to run for performances and doing small set things. So t TBD on that, but um, hopefully we're back together soon enough that we won't have to worry about it. One of the reasons I ask is because the Metropolitan Opera for years has had um, streamed its live performances uh, for people to view remotely. But of course, they largely have been streaming them into movie theaters. So we, we come right back to bringing people together to enjoy that art form. Jocelyn, as, a, as an academic, I'm curious, um, you're, you're a scholar of film studies. Uh, how do you think... Um, your profession, academics, will 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 memorialize or capture what this last year has done to the film industry and other entertainment industry. Do you think? Do you think there'll be a, a lot of dissertations written on this experience, or is it going to be a blip? Uh, and uh, and you and your fellow scholars will go back to uh, operations as they did before. Well, I can safely say that I've done more interviews over the past year than I think I ever have in my life. <laughs> Suddenly, everybody's interested in the movie theater when uh, when it seemed like my scholarship was just old hat and everybody just wanted to stream. Um, so from an anecdotal perspective, I can say that there's certainly more interest right now. Um, I'm supervising a really just a fantastic MA project right now by one of my brilliant graduate students who's writing about this moment in 1937 uh, when the Ohio River flood, the Ohio, Ohio River Valley flooded. Um, and there was massive flooding, uh, especially in Louisville. And he's looking at how theaters, movie theaters in downtown Louisville became uh, spaces for refugees uh, for at least uh, four days of the worst of the floods. It's really fascinating. So it's about, you know, how the theater can be all these different things. You know, we can imagine it to be all these different things Things, including a space where he might care for people who need it. And as he's been writing this, he's he's now uh, he's now uh, describing um, this event via the lens of the pandemic and thinking about how um, epidemics and pandemics and natural disasters all bring us to a moment of reconfiguration, of rethinking what these structures are and what they might be in the future. So I really think that this is not going to be a blip at all. I think it's going to be um, a moment that we will return to because anytime there's a moment of crisis, there's a moment of possibility. There's a moment of rethinking what the world might be. And Brent, do you think there'll be plays written about COVID-19? I think there will be plays written about the value of human connection or the desperation that comes in isolation. Um, I don't think I, we're, we're everyone in the theater right now is so deadly sick dealing with COVID-19 and saying the word and health and safety plans and things like that, that, that I don't think anybody's going to tackle it head on. But the larger questions of who are we, who are we now as a society on the other side of this? What are we going to value? What are we going to hold on to are definitely going to be asked and asked more urgently and particularly picking up the ball. Um, from pre-pandemic, who gets to be involved in that conversation? Um, a real urgency toward inclusion, particularly from BIPOC artists saying this, this industry has been a white supremacist industry for since inception. It's time to open the door wider now. So I expect that we will see uh, a real onrush very hard back to that conversation, which has sort of been suspended in this time when we can't really gather in mass 
But the thing I'm most curious about from the practitioner side is seeing how many of these digital and virtual tools we're picking up now will carry over back into our live stage work on the other side of this. I mean, we all we all know how to do three camera shoots now. So how is that going to translate to uh, working live on stage? Um, and hopefully we're able to, to blend those things and, and create not a, a new form. That's a little heady, but to to figure out what the next evolution of it is. This has been a fascinating conversation. I thank you both so much for taking time today. And Jocelyn, I have the feeling you'll be doing more than one or two more interviews along this line because we're, we don't have it in our rear view mirror yet, but, uh, but hopefully we will soon and put an end to the pandemic and again, get back into the theaters to see people and see films the way they were meant to be seen, right? <laughs> thank you so much. Great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Jocelyn Sapaniak-Gillis, who's an associate professor of English and film studies at UWM, and Brent Hazelton, artistic director of Milwaukee's Chamber Theater, our guest on this edition of UWM Today. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week at the same time. Take care, everybody. I'm Tom Lujak. You've been listening to UWM Today with host Tom Lujak, the weekly program where you get to meet the people behind one of America's top research universities. University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, playing a vital role in shaping the future of Milwaukee and Wisconsin, UWM's diversity, academic excellence, and world-class research contribute to the region's economic development and quality of life. Learn more at uwm.edu.